Pastor Edgar. Take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. That will be an anchor passage for us this evening. We'll be in a number of different passages of Scripture, but that will be at least one place you're going to want to put a finger or a, or a thumb there. We'll be there in just a moment. As you're turning to Isaiah chapter 6, uh, reminding you that we are in our second week, not only in a series on Sunday morning going through the book of Acts, but we're in our second week on Sunday night going through the series based off of the curriculum and, and rooted in the, the book of Hosea on downpour. It's, it's this not trendy idea, but it's a biblical idea that He will come to us like the rain. Uh, this idea that revival is open to those who seek Him. As we looked last week, we saw where we're going to be going and saw these different pictures that we're going to see leading us to this downpour, this outpouring of revival that God has for His people. And tonight, I want us to dive into half of the message. Uh, We're going to look at the other half next week, but we're going to be exploring this picture of God on the throne. Until we see God on the throne, we won't be able to get to any other aspect of revival that he has for us. And so to help us get at that, this picture of revival that we saw in Hosea last week, uh, uh, in in Hosea last week we saw that, uh, Isaiah tonight, chapter 6, is going to help us see these pictures of God on the throne. A.W. Tozer is quoted when he says, What you think about God is the most important thing about you. Man, I I love that quote. I think it's so important and so true and yet so countercultural. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. What is your understanding of who God the Father is? What is your thoughts about God the Father? Because what you think about God, what you see of God, what you understand of God is very, very important. And thus, as we look at the picture of God on the throne, it gives us an idea of who He is and how we relate to Him and and what our desperate need is in Jesus Christ. Anchoring in Isaiah 6, we're going to look at verse 1 through 3 here in just a moment. And when you see God high and lifted up, like we're going to see uh, Isaiah is, is catching here in a moment, We begin to see that Tozer is right. It changes our view not only of God when we see him in the throne room. It changes our view of everything else. And as we saw this morning, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, it changes things and it will change every aspect of our life. And it starts with seeing God clearly. It starts with understanding who he is in our life. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, that word holy, do you comprehend the, the word holy or holiness? Do we understand what it means when, when they are declaring holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? What exactly is the holiness of God? 
What exactly is this holiness that encompasses his nature and his character? That tells us who he is. What is this holiness? What does it mean to be holy? We're a a people of faith who use the word holy and holiness a lot. And sometimes we use it so much, I think we can begin to, to lose its meaning. Not because it's lost meaning, but because maybe we become so familiar or accustomed or so casual with this that we miss what it means for God to be holy. What it means for us to understand and to see God's holiness. Sometimes we we read scriptures where there's a call for us to be holy because God is holy. And it just sounds perfectly okay with us. But if we read that with an understanding of who God is, that should perplex us. Be holy? Is is he as holy? How is this possible? We're going to be talking on Sunday mornings on how this is possible, what it looks like. But there should be some kind of disconnect because when we understand who God is, we see clearly who we are. And there is is a difference. Holiness, defined, is to be separate, to be set apart. The Hebrew, Kadesh, and the Greek, Hagiosh, it means different and, and denotes separation in every way possible. We would see this differentness, this holiness, this holy God is as awesome, as undescribable as amazing this is a holy god who is not like me he's not like you he's unlike anything we have ever seen he is a holy other he is a separate he is a set apart one well that's what holiness is and every time i use the word holy or holiness which is going to be like a bunch tonight i want you to think of separateness or holy other or distinctively different. There's two key thoughts I want us to catch tonight. As my daughter Caden grabbed the pink outline, she said, Dad, there's only two blanks. Is that guy going to be singing for a long time tonight? She figured if there's only two blanks and the message has to be short, well, rest assured that we're going to have the same amount of message as usual. But the outline is a little bit shorter, so you may be able to jot down some things that are not on the outline that speak to you. But, but two key thoughts we need to catch on this picture of God on the throne. We're going somewhere with this, and over the weeks to come, we'll begin to see that revival cannot take place until we see God for who He is clearly. Everything else is short-circuited. Everything else falls short. You may have some kind of band-aid approach, but it never gets to the revival or bringing life back until we see God clearly, God on the throne. That first thought I want us to catch is, is this. Holiness describes separation. Holiness describes separation. It says in our text tonight that in the year that King Uzziah died, 740 B.C., Uzziah had reigned for 52 years until he died of leprosy. And of course, that would have sent shockwaves through the entire nation. People who had known one ruler for so long, for 52 years, and now he is dead, and now he is gone, fear would have had to have crept up. Uncertainty was present there. And here God gives this message to Isaiah... God gives this message to the people of Israel, a clear picture of who he is. 
God is giving a clear picture to us tonight of who He is. In the midst of their uncertainty, in the midst of their unknown, in the midst of the turnover of leadership, in the midst of everything that they had come accustomed to understanding, unraveled before them, God says, let me tell you who I am. Oh, that's good for us right there. We desperately, more than ever, need to understand who God is, understand His holiness, His holy otherness, because of our desperation in what's around us. Is there uncertainty in your life? Is there fear in your life? Are there things that seem to be coming loose at all ends, unraveling around you. God wants to come to us and say, I need you to see who I am on the throne. It changes everything. Your understanding of God can be the most important thing about you. Because when I see who God is, when you see who God is, we understand ourselves better in light of who He is, and it changes everything. This fearful uneasiness God sends to them in this uncertain time, this unknown time, God gave the nation of Israel a fresh view of His exalted nature. And God is going to give that to us tonight and over the next number of weeks to come. Notice what He says. Isaiah here, He says, I saw the Lord. Now, we're not sure if he was awake, if he was sleeping, if this was a vision, or if this was a dream. The text doesn't tell us exactly. But somehow, apparently, Isaiah was supernaturally transported to the very throne room of God, and he gives us this description that we are looking at tonight. And there, he saw the creator of the universe. It says, I saw the Lord. Now, now this is not just the name of God. It's not so much saying, I saw, and then here's the first name of God. It's more the title. I saw the, the ruler. I saw the creator of the universe. I saw the Lord. I, I saw the one who's in charge of everything. And we know the scripture says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And we'll never be able to comprehend everything. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't reveal pieces of who he is to us. It doesn't mean that that's not important to us. When we understand the one who has no limits, the one who is in charge of everything is there before us, it changes quite a bit in our life. I saw the Lord, the ruler, sitting upon a throne. He wasn't pacing back and forth. In this picture that Isaiah saw, he was not wringing his hands. He was not fretting and fearful because here King Uzziah had died and 52 years they had a leader. Leprosy comes. He's dead. Things are there. God's going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? It's quite the opposite. God is there seated on the throne. This picture that he is revealing of himself to his people. God is in complete control. Sometimes we get so enmeshed and and overwhelmed by the complexity of life that we begin to project our limitations on God. Friend, when we see the complexities of the universe, it not only helps us see how big God is, God could have created 10,000 more uh, universes like we see now, and it wouldn't even come close to stressing Him out. It wouldn't tap his resources. God is limitless in resources. And this God, seated on a throne, leading the world with his feet up on the desk, per se. Why? Because he can. 
Because he is seated there in his majesty, in his glory. And the picture that God reveals is, I am seated on the throne, says the Lord God Almighty. There's no limit to him. The scripture says, I saw him seated on the throne, high and lifted up. Look at it in your text. I'm not making it up. It's right there. High and lifted up. Exalted. This is not so much, I think, talking to us about the, the throne, the construction of the, of the seat itself. This is not about the back of the chair of the throne. This is more about the setup. This is more about the understanding here in the throne room in, in heaven. God on the throne is elevated, is lifted up above everyone and everything else. Here in the throne room, God himself cannot be made on the same level as the angels. God is not on the same level as you and I. God is exalted. He is lifted up. His very nature of his holiness, his separateness, his holy otherness is above everything. Now, as we begin to see this picture of a high, exalted God... We notice the next part. I saw the Lord God, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And, and what does it say there in, in your text? And, and the what? The train of his robe did what? It did what? It filled the temple. Now we talk about the train of his robe. This is a symbolizing, the train symbolizes the splendor of the one wearing the garment. And so a bride on her wedding day will, will often have a, a wedding gown with, with the long train behind her. Symbolizing the splendor, her, her beauty, the, the specialness of that day. We find those who are are exalted and lifted up in our culture around us. And, and when Queen Elizabeth was there in, in Westminster Abbey, the train of her garment, her robe, went all the way down the aisle and out the door. A few of us would, would try to, to wear a garment where our train would go all the way down the aisle and out the back door. How, how pretentious, how, how arrogant. Who does she think she is, the Queen of England? It wasn't pretentious for her. She was the queen of England. This was symbolizing her splendor. And so the picture we get here through Isaiah is the the train of his robe does what? It doesn't just go all the way back. It goes down and back and left and right and up and down. It fills the temple. What symbolizes the the very splendor of God is is filling, is saturating every aspect of the temple. This is the picture of the throne room of, of God. That is who God is. Holy, exalted, and lifted up. Who is like you, O God? The writers of Scripture ask over and over again. Think about it. Who is like God? No one. No one is like God. Pastor Brady, I kind of got excited when there was only two blanks on the outline, but you're going to talk a long time about this one blank, so uh, what's the point here? Holiness describes separation. There is no one like 
God. Until we see God on the throne, revival will never take place. Until we see God on the throne, a breath of life will never take place. Until we understand who He is, we cannot get to the other aspects that He wants to do in our life. The downpour, as He comes to us like a drenching, driving, darting rain, saturating us with His presence, it starts with us understanding who He is. And we talked this morning about this picture. Until we understand our relationship with Christ in our life, His rightful seat, this isn't God being overbearing. This is His very essence, His nature. When we see God on the throne, why would He take the footstool in our life? When we see God in His glory and His splendor that fills the temple, why would we try to compartmentalize Him to some just little religious one-seventh of our week? When we see who God is, it changes everything in our life. Ezekiel chapter 1. You may want to just listen to this. If you're quick with your sword, you may want to turn to it. I'm going to look at a little bit of another picture of who God is in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel had a vision. If you have had a vision of God himself, some have claimed to that, but very few have had a a vision of God himself. Ezekiel did. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, listen to this. Ezekiel says, in my 13th year, and the fourth month on the fifth day, and then he tells specifically where he's at. He's just saying, hey, here's where it happened at this time. It's time stamped. This is what took place. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. We read on. It says, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest. There the hand of the Lord was on him. He goes on in the following verses to describe everything in the throne room in detail except for God himself. It's as if he sees this picture of God and and he can't describe God adequately. So he describes everything else around him. And and listen to Ezekiel uh, chapter 1 verse 26. After he's described this room, he says, Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. Now, here in this passage, Ezekiel, in chapter 1, 16 times he uses the word of the phrase, uh, uh, appear, or appearance. And 10 times he uses the word likeness. Now, this is significant because he is, he's struggling. What he's seeing, he's having a hard time describing because he's never seen anything like it. He says, so it kind of, kind of a, appeared like this. Or it looked something, not exactly, but something like that. He was wanting to get it out, the vision he saw, but it was so different, it was so wholly other, it was so separate from anything he'd ever seen, it was beyond description. Why was it so different? Because he is God. He is holy. He is not like us. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 says this, I saw... From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if uh, full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Verse 28, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. 
This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And it says, when I saw it, when I saw him, I fell on my face. I want you to catch here, we're seeing through Isaiah, we're seeing through Ezekiel, and soon we'll see through John's revelation, pictures of the throne room of God. We're going to see two key aspects tonight and, and three more next week. It changes some things when we see God in his throne room. And the picture that was revealed to Ezekiel here, as he saw God on the throne, when he really saw God, he, he had to get low. When he really saw God, he, he had to get he had to get down. It didn't say he got low or got down to his knees. It said, he said he, he, went to his, he went to his face. Because when you really see the glory of God, the, the, the best thing you can do, what you, you, you crave to do is, is you've got to lower yourself because he is high and lifted up. And when, when, when you see God, it's not, oh, I forgot the etiquette. What are we supposed to do? Curtsy? Bow? What, what's it's not some kind of ritual. This is the very essence, the nature of God. And Ezekiel is saying, it's, it's like, oh, it's like, it's like fire. It's like a, a glowing metal. The, the aura after a, a rainbow, it's, 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 it's something like I've never seen before. But God on the throne would drive him to his face. Now hang with me, church. We're going somewhere. This ties to revival. Until we see who God is, until we see God on the throne, until we lower ourselves, until we get on our face before God, we will never see the downpour or the outpouring that he has for us. When I saw God, when I really saw God, Ezekiel says, it, it took me low. He is holy. He is separate. Now, friends, this is a view of God that, that I think we have lost in many aspects of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not spe- speaking specifically just about Grace Point, but I believe that we are a part of the greater church. And, and there is this lost description un- and understanding of this holy other. I think it's because we have hollowed out what this word, this description of holiness really is and and are clinging to other attributes of God that are true and necessary, but we have leaned or bent towards other things that we, we miss this whole understanding of the holiness, the separateness of God, and it is a tragedy in our midst. Because we have this hollowed out understanding of holiness and we've cherished other points or attributes of God, we seldom see God. And because we seldom see God, we seldom comprehend who He is. And because we seldom see God, and because we seldom comprehend who He is, we quite often misunderstand who we are. Friend, God is not the man upstairs. God is not like Big Daddy. God is not this gray-haired old geezer with a long beard shuffling around in heaven somewhere like the cartoon would depict to us. God is a holy other, separate. His glory, His train, his, the symbol of His splendor is filling the temple. He is like what no one can describe. And until I understand who God is, 
Not that I've got them all figured out, but until I begin to see He is not something that I can fashion in my own hands, not something that I can compartmentalize to one particular area of my life, not something that I can kind of predict or figure out. Everything else doesn't make sense. Understanding of my total dependence on Him, surrender to Him, consecration to Him, seems like not risky at best, but irresponsible sometimes, until you see this is God. I don't know if it's political correctness or a swinging of the pendulum where we had gone so far that we needed to hear more about God's grace and His love, both of which are very, very real and tangible in our life. But they only make sense in the understanding of the nature of God and His holiness. In church, we need to come back and see a picture of God on the throne to feel the downpour of His Spirit and revival. God is unequaled in glory. The one who dwells in unapproachable light. No one can see God directly and live. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews says. And the second thing, we're down to the second point. And here's the second one right in. Holiness demands caution. It demands caution. It's kind of like, hey, hey, just back up a little bit. This is God. Holiness, it's like, well, just hold on. Be careful. You are in the presence of God Almighty. Isaiah chapter 6, let's go back to where we were in in verse 2. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. See, in the first verse he was talking about the robe and the train of of his glory. And as he was describing the glory of God, it's kind of like he pauses. He's like, uh, uh, okay, I got to tell you what, what I saw, what God looks like. Um, let me just tell you what's above God. I can't... I can't describe fully what I have seen of God, but let me tell you what's around Him. Let let me just tell you how the beings around God acted and and how they related to this God. And he began to describe these seraphim, these angels, and he talked about them. He said, you know, it's these angels who covered their faces. And they didn't want to look directly at God, and so they had six wings and, and two wings covered their face. So they wouldn't look directly at God. And then the, the vision, the, the dream, the, the picture that he got was two wings covered their feet so God wouldn't see them. And then there was two more wings in the six-winged angel that were flying. And these three verbs here of these six wings, covered, covered, and flying, it is this idea of continual action. It wasn't like I did it once and it stops. It's this ongoing covering my face, ongoing covering myself, ongoing flying, standing there before God, ministering and serving. It's in essence to say that those around God understood who He was. It's to say, back up a little bit. This is, this is God. Hey, do what He says. Respect who he is. Not because he's some cranky king that we see here on earth who, out of his own carnality, zaps people, but because of the very things that ooze from his presence, 
the very glory of God is separate. It is other. And His holiness demands caution for us to see who He is. This is the picture of the throne room of God. Seeing two of them tonight, these two things, three more next week. It's not just from one person. It's from Isaiah. It's from Ezekiel. We're going to see it from John here in just a minute. We see it spoken about all throughout Scripture. But it's important to see who God is. They are careful before Him. Now, now let's look at John's picture. You may want to turn to Revelation chapter 20 or just listen to Revelation 20 verse 11. We read this scripture a lot in worship. I love these pictures we see of, of God through John's vision. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne. Notice that the throne is white. It's a picture of purity. Here, these people are riding what they have seen of the throne room of God. They are centuries apart from each other. They had not read each other's writings. And here, they're describing something so similar. How could this be? Because they saw the same thing. They are seeing the living God. God has allowed Himself to give a snapshot, a quick glimpse of His glory in the throne room. Because what we know of God changes so much. It's so important to who we are. It sets us up for the outpouring of His Spirit. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. The, the earth, the heavens, they, they fled from his presence. There was no place for them. It's, it's given us this picture that no one just comes right up and approaches holiness. Hey, 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 holiness. <laughs> you thought you were in trouble. That's kind of fun. <laughs> You're not. But that was kind of fun. I've had that happen to me. It's not this idea that we just come right up, hey, God, i, I got to tell you something. You know, I've talked with some people, and, and I understand out of their hurt or the things they don't get in life, they say, you know, when I see God, i got a bone to pick with God. There's a few things that I'm going to say, God. You don't get it. No one. This isn't a respect thing, though respect is needed. No one. We'll run up to the holiness of God and just say, hey, 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 let me tell you what I think. Every living being in the presence of God Almighty, the very definition of His holiness, church. It's not a list of things that we do and don't do. It's not this things that's been passed down from, from one generation to the another of, of how the good old days were and camp meeting and sawdust. Hey, those are important. I love those and I live those with you. But, but church, this is a picture of who God is. His nature. His glory. It demands a response that is important for us to catch tonight. No one has that sense before God. In rapid fire, in the last few moments, what do we do with this? We're going to see three more pictures of the throne room of God next week. But it should begin to change some things. The wholeness of God should guide our governing of God's acceptance. There's this idea of unconditional acceptance from God. Friend, be careful with this. God has unconditional love, but unconditional acceptance gives us the idea that God loves me so much, He's not going to send anyone to hell. This is not about God being angry or throwing darts. Hey, if someone has this idea of a God with unconditional acceptance, they've not seen God in the throne room. Because God is holy, because He is separate, because it should give us caution, He is opposite of sin. He repels sin. 
And so this idea of God's unconditional acceptance is not biblical. Unconditional love, yes. I've gone so far that God won't love me? No. But God has just kind of gotten tired and says, hey, sin today is on sale, so it doesn't really matter. It's, it's a sin sale, so just have a little. No. It's, it's not ever okay with God. What do we do with this? Our understanding of accountability should be changed. We need accountability from other men and women, but the Scripture talks to us about the account we give before God, and we understand a holy God. This should change how we see accountability. Matthew twelve thirty six says, And I say to you that every uh, uh, careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account to it in the day of judgment. Or Romans fourteen twelve says, So then each one of us shall give an account to himself, to God himself. Another change this should bring about in us is the holiness of God should govern our thinking about our self-esteem. We've got this idea sometimes that, that the more I, I know God, the better I feel about myself. Now, now, don't misunderstand. God loves you. It's true God doesn't make junk. It's true that when we are living in Him that we have confidence. But friend, it's not that Christianity makes you feel better about yourself. When you see God and who He is, woe is me. I am one with unclean lips. It's not my confidence in myself or my flesh. This can quickly turn to a humanistic, it can quickly turn to a carnal view that God is here to make me feel good about myself. This is a whole bunch of problems later on. As the sailor knows, as they set the compass for their journey, one or two degrees off at the beginning leads miles in the opposite direction. And if we don't understand who God is, if we think God is there to make us just feel better about ourselves, oh, we begin to have a love for what God has created in us, not because we're amazing, but because He, he would love us that much. But God is not here to just boost my self-esteem. God, thank you for giving me a pick-me-up today. Some change should happen. Also, the holiness of God should caution us about worship. Oh, how often in our culture today, worship is about my set of ideals to get me in a place to get a goosebump for God. But if worship is to be given to God, the peripheral things fall away. This is about giving glory to the one who is high and lifted up. You ever come into church feeling sick? You ever come into church with your heart broken because of a death of a loved one? Ever come into church where, where your spirits are low because you've been offended by someone that you've trusted? You ever come into church and you just are just down and the enemy tempts us to disengage from worship i've been there that's 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 human but when we worship god in the throne room it's not about how i feel it's not about what i'm experiencing it's about who he is and the freedom that comes in worship is not because somebody tickled my heartstrings right. It's because no matter what is going on in the shifting sands of my world, God is still on the throne. He is still holy. He is still separate. He is still other. He is not me. He is not you. He's not the angels. He's not Lucifer. He is God alone. And I give worship to Him. And it begins to set my heart in the right tone. Oh, I wish we could go through the rest of the, like, eight weeks tonight, but we can't. 
But if we don't get this, the rest of them will be okay, but they won't be great of what God wants to do in our midst. This holiness of God should produce in us a a reverence or a fear of God. Uh, Not a trembling to where I am unsure about an unpredictable, calloused being, but a reverence, a fear of offending a holy and perfect God. The holiness of God makes the gospel a glorious necessity. I want to end with that thought tonight. The good news of the gospel is foolishness to those who are not open to the light. One of the reasons I believe it's foolishness to those who are not open to the light is because who needs a Savior of a God that is like you? Who needs a Savior to be able to have a relationship with a God who you can mastermind? When we begin to see clearly who God is, begin to see what He is about It is this idea that the best thing I can do is get low, to get on my face, and to lift him up. Then we begin to see that this God loves you so much that the sin that he hates, the evil that is so opposite of him that is in us, he cleanses us. He purifies us. He makes us holy as He is holy and calls us to Him. This understanding of a God gives us this unconditional love. Not unconditional acceptance, but a love that is amazing. Heavenly Father, I thank You for my friends and their attention tonight. Lord, I, I thank You for what I call often our core that comes out on Sunday night. These are people who teach, who preach, who share, who live your message, not only this week, but they have week in and week out. Lord, my heart is not to share something brand new tonight, but my heart is to share from your word the picture of your throne room that sets us up for the outpouring the downpour, that you come rushing to us like the rain. But God, you want us to get the picture of who you are first. So Lord, I pray that you will take these words from your scriptures, the thoughts woven together through our curriculum tonight and through my best attempt at laying them out and presenting them to us. But Lord, I pray that you'll breathe life into your truth. And that once again we will see the symbol of your splendor. Not just filling the temple or the church, but filling our very being as we talk in the morning about your fullness of your spirit. Lord, as we are your temple, God, would you fill us from head to toe with the understanding of the experience of your greatness and your glory, your holiness. It's in your son's precious name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Church, I want to thank you for your attention tonight. I want to challenge you, if, if you happen to miss one on Sunday morning as we're going through the book of Acts, to, to grab an outline there on the table out there. Our office staff has helped you so you can stay caught up. We're going to do the same thing on, 
on, uh, what is this, Sunday night. forgot what day it was. On Sunday night. And uh, to help you stick with this, if you miss a week, don't give up and, and stop coming. But as, as this builds one upon another, we're going to see some awesome things of what God has for us. God bless you. You're dismissed.